Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast. We believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Beamer, back with you for a third season of our baseball podcast. And let's just get right into it with our first big announcement. And that is that I have a new regular co-host who is also an old regular co-host from last year. And that is Jerwin, who will be replacing Nate um, as our regular every week host. Uh, Nate will still come on from time to time, but normally with you here, it will be me and Jerwin. Jerwin, how are you feeling fresh off of the promotion? I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good, feeling great. Uh, it's a, it's an honor to to replace Nate as the the podcast host. Um, technically replacing you as like the the second hand man, but you know, we all got promoted. That's great. I hope I can fill Nate's shoes well this season. Uh, the only sad part is obviously I can't be on the chaos episode anymore because you know you can't be you can't be establishment and also be chaos. Yeah, that is true. And uh, about the promotion, I now get to make all the itineraries and do all that fun stuff, send the recordings to Eddie. And I all, I still make zero dollars, so uh, that's fun for me. But how was your off season? I guess on a scale of like Aaron Judge to Carlos Correa. Ooh, um, goodness. I mean, what what other contracts can you name? It was probably like one of those one of the Braves contracts, like a like a Austin Riley or something like that. You know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't make out entirely, but you know, uh, bright, bright future ahead. You know, that is good. We'll get into our next announcement, which is, I'm sure everybody already knows. If you don't, you probably have had the group chat on mute like forever. Nick Lee is our new team. Is our new owner replacing Courtney? Uh, it remains to be seen if the team C Deemer will change. Part of me hopes it doesn't, but Nick Lee, welcome to the league officially on the podcast. Uh, the other, the only other notes that, that we need to discuss now, and just to mention as we need to settle this before the season, Mike came in last last year, which means we get to decide what his new team name is, and we get to give him a logo. We need ideas. Uh, we need we're going to do a couple nominations and then maybe vote on them uh, in the players association group chat, but that is an item that needs to be taken care of before the season starts for sure. Uh, today for our first episode, it's really going to be all about keepers heading into the draft. And we're going to look at the different keeper pools. Um, Jerwin has a very interesting thought on strategy that we're going to dive into. And then at the very, very end, we will reveal the draft order for the keeper expansion draft. So we have a lot to get through. I would I had vowed to myself that I would do better with the pacing of the episodes, and I'm already screwing that up with this long intro. So we're just going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to lead off though with that teased thought on strategy, Jerwin. I'm going to give you the floor because I know that uh, there's some explanation that needs to go into this. Sure, sure. So, um, essentially, I I have been constructing a a theory over the past year or so on on how keepers are working in this league and how 
I and I, I think the league at large should be treating them. Uh, I wrote this all down, so if it sounds rehearsed, it is, but I wanted to keep it as short as possible uh, and not talk for an hour on this because it's keepers and that's fun to talk about. So uh, without further ado, uh, Scott White from the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast uses the mantra, waves, not windows, in his dynasty leagues, meaning championship chances ebb and flow. They don't open and close. I think a similar mentality can even be applied to our keeper league. Historically, I, and I believe other managers, have applied a specific keeper strategy that I'm beginning to think in. I think those mistakes are threefold. One, selling the farm, quote unquote, is more bad than good. In an ideal world, you want five guys who you're comfortable keeping. Sometimes it's more like three solid guys and two might as wells, if you will. But dropping into one or two solid keepers changes the calculus dramatically. I think we're overestimating the increase in championship chances in comparison to the decrease in long-term prospects when we're dropping below that three to five player threshold. Instead of riding our keeper wave, we're shutting our window on purpose by giving out up our pool. Number two, and this goes hand in hand with number one, you're giving your keepers away at too high a discount. Keepers carry a ton of value that I think gets discounted too heavily in trades when you're going for a championship, especially if you're dropping below that keeper threshold and severely hurting your chances next season and beyond, you should be asking full price for your guys. And number three, selling early is a mistake 90% of the time. And I say this one having basically started the trend of selling early in 2020. So forgive me for that, my gravest of sins. Uh, I can see if your keeper pool is completely shot to start the year, you might want to get in first and make sure you secure the best keepers for the season. But if you're fixing the two previous mistakes, you shouldn't be in that position anyways. So much can change over the course of a season. You might feel out of it early, but rebound closer to the deadline, or you could be top dog and collapse. The playoff picture only gets clearer as the season progresses, and deadline day is when you have the best information to make long-term keeper decisions. I'll use myself as, as an example of what I think not to do. In 2021, I sold the farm. And yes, I had a better chance of winning that year, and I got my first top three finish, which was great. But once it was over, I was left severely handicapped in 2022 last season. That did not feel good. In 2021, also, I traded Corbin Burns for Aaron Nola and Trey Turner. Now, at the time, that trade was lauded as a great move, but in hindsight, I think that was severely discounted, and I know it was severely discounted because the very next season, Sam traded him again for Verlander and Juan Soto, two better players for one less year of eligibility. I should have either gotten more out of him in the trade in 2021 or just kept him and retained that value for myself for another season. And then last year, I sold early because I had decimated my keeper pool, but a lot changed between my first selling move and the deadline, like the emergence of Spencer Strider, for example. And speaking of Spencer Strider, let me use Nate as an example for what we should do. 
Last year, he was a clear contender and indeed the favorite of this podcast going into the playoffs. It didn't work out for him, but he had a great team that could have easily done it if things broke it in his favor better. Despite that, he has a really good keeper pool this year with four super solid picks with good to great discounts. He's going to be a contender again with a good draft. He made very savvy trades with the excess keepers he had, but he didn't sacrifice his future for a championship team. Why should we? And then just some other quick examples in closing. Sam last year traded away Austin Riley for Tatis. Getting Reynolds in return as well kind of saves it a little bit for Sam in my eyes. But in my opinion, even if Tatis was fully healthy and playing at the time and didn't get suspended, that's a huge discount for a third-round player being kept in the 12th round with another year of eligibility after that. And finally, Jake didn't lose his playoff matchup last year because he sold for Corbin Burns. He lost because Matt Manning stinks. <laughs> a move that should have hurt him trading away for Lander and Soto for Burns. Didn't it end up hurting him all that much? It was a roster mistake instead. And now Jake has one of the best keepers in the league to start 2023. Not bad at all. In conclusion... Fantasy baseball is 70% out of your control, but a big part of that 30% is having good keepers. And that concludes the speech. All right, so that was Jerwin's TED Talk. Just a few points, basically. Jerwin thinks that we are, as a league, undervaluing the amount of uh, the, the discount of keepers and the value that that brings as opposed to I guess, selling for a championship. And I should preface this by saying I do largely agree with him. I do think that we undervalue the amount of um, the advantage that a good keeper can bring us. And uh, we do tend to sell them what seems like discounts, um, at least in my eyes. But I did want to make this conversation interesting. Um, so I did look back and I came up with kind of two counterpoints. Um, the first of that, and I'll, I'm going to start with kind of the less interesting case. Um, keepers are not always sure things. And I think that's easy, kind of easy to lose sight of. And the trade that, that made that, that came to mind when I was trying to find an example was one I made in 2019. Um, there were more players involved in just this. One of them was actually Frankie Montas, who never even started for me because, uh, he got busted for steroids, but Nate gave me Max Scherzer, no keeper eligibility, and I gave up Mike Clevenger and Chris Paddock. Now, obviously looking back, that seems really lopsided, but at the time, this was during Chris Paddock's uh, stellar rookie campaign where he was being looked at as an amazing rookie pitcher. And once upon a time, Mike Clevenger was viewed as a very tippy-top fantasy starter. He was he I, I looked at the stuff earlier today. I would argue that he was considered at that time kind of a lesser version of what Strider is now. I know that in going into 2020, he was a consensus top five pitcher. 
He was very, very good. He averaged almost 20 points a game in 2019. And he looks like a set and forget rock for your for your starting staff. So Nate was getting back a rookie pitcher who looked fantastic with three years of eligibility. And also a a top five pitcher heading into 2020. Um, I should say, I should preference top five. He was viewed as a top five pitcher in, in a redraft league. Um, in 2019, he was hurt and whatever. He was, he was top five on a points per game basis. Anyways, those are, those looks like about as two rock solid set and forget keepers as you could possibly get. Similar to how Spencer Strider is viewed now. They didn't have the discount, but they were viewed as top of the line guys. The very next year, whether due to performance in the case of Paddock or performance and injury in the case of Clevenger, neither one of them got kept and neither one of them really helped. Nate was still terrific that year, but it was not due to those two guys. So I guess that's my first counterexample as to why maybe like the keepers that you're giving up, you might think like it's easy to look back at the ones that worked, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, we don't really tend to remember the ones that didn't, uh, such as that 2019 trade that I don't even, I don't even know if Nate would remember that because first of all, it was a shortened season in 2020 and Paddock and Clevenger didn't really contribute that much. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that particular example. Uh, the next one's much more interesting, but uh, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, well, I mean, you say it's the less interesting one, but I think it's actually a really good point. Uh, first, like, what I'm advocating for is a general strategy. I don't think this is, like, the silver bullet of our league, and if you do this, you're going to be a contender every year. Like, I, th I think it's just more optimal, if that makes sense. Um, and just a larger point about even when your keepers bust the the point of keepers isn't isn't necessarily oh you now have really good players the point is your margin for error is now a lot larger than if you didn't have those players because keepers bust just like draft picks do but if your keeper busts and you had let's take Austin Riley, for example, if he has a really bad year this year, so, I mean, if he gets injured and he's out the whole season, that's a bust, but you spent a 12th round pick on him instead of a third round pick. And you could have, you had your third round pick open potentially to pick someone else who would, who would return that kind of value for you. So yes, you could absolutely get absolutely wrecked by injuries or just, keepers that that bust on you uh, i should not have said that uh <laughs> keepers keepers that don't pan out but it's it's still better than having you know redrafted and taken them where they're closer to where their adp was and have that pick blow up in your face it's okay. We don't have to worry because I think this podcast has the explicit tag for whatever reason. So all good. Um, that, the next, that checks yeah, out. Yes. The other example, the, this was the more interesting one in my opinion. Also 2020 and also me because I, I guess I would just remember these trades better if I was involved, which, you know, makes sense. But 2020 season, um, 
I traded who was regarded as the best keeper at the time in Ronald Acuna and also a pretty good keeper in Josh Hader for Jacob deGrom. deGrom was, this is a very extreme example because at, the, at also at the time, deGrom was kind of considered the number one player. Now, this tended to work out for both me and Courtney, who I traded with. Um, uh, I guess it looked at, it looked like it was going to work out in the case for her. I ended up winning the championship that year, um, and I don't think I would have done it if I did not have DeGrom on the team. And Courtney, the next year, looked like the top team in the league until Acuna tore his ACL, and then that was just the kind of the end of that. But my reason for bringing that up, um, and the reason I think this is an interesting case, is this seems to kind of fly in the face of this strategy and the fact that um, I gave up was the best long-term asset. Uh, and again, it's at the time. This was before Burns emerged. This was before Rodon was the thing. Acuna was the top guy at the time. So I moved to the top guy. I got back the top guy in present day value. It would seem that you would advise not to do this, even though I felt like that was a move that I needed to make to put my team over the top. I guess, what are your thoughts on this? Because it sounds like this is something that you would not consider now. But if you were in my position and you felt like you had a team that was very close and that was was championship worthy, but it felt like you really needed that one more piece. What would you have? Would you have pulled the trigger? What would you have done there? So first, I'd like to point out that it's wild that in 2020, Ronald Acuna had to be coupled with another keeper to get a quality player, and the following two seasons, both. Corbin Burns got two quality players by himself. It's crazy that like the keeper market changed that quickly and and sustained it for for two seasons. I think Carlos Rodon also he got uh Julio Urias and Trey Turner last year um when Nick traded him away. So just that part is is interesting to me. Uh Okay, if, if I can jump in just real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um so that part that you point out, that's all that is very interesting, you're right? So I guess if that because I, I kind of have the mindset that the market is what we're what people are willing to pay. If that was that was that was all that, that was what the demand was for DeGrom. If I wanted DeGrom, I had to give up Acuna, and there was no way around that. And I had to give up a secondary piece and a very good one. And that, that ended up being hater. Again, I guess this, because from what I'm, from what I'm seeing, you don't even think that your trade with Burn for Burns, or when you gave Burns away, that that was enough. And this is arguably less than that because I only got one good player in return for the top keeper and another really good keeper. Yeah, it's like it's like the reverse case, basically, like the completely flipped polarity the in the market. Um. Yeah, I so looking back, I I I would say that that is ultimately 
if you go back and look at the overall value that you got, I mean, you won a championship. So like looking at the granular, like actual value kind of is moot because you did win. But if you're, if you're looking at the trade at the time, the increased in chances in win chances that you got out of that trade, I don't know that it actually out values the decrease just in a generic case, the decrease for the person giving away um, Ronald Acuna and Josh Hader for the next season. And I think they both only had the the following year eligibility, but um, the exception and the reason I, the reason I started with the point about the size of the keeper pool rather than the value of the individual players is for lack of a better phrase size maps um the really earning that explicit tag thank you uh if so i pulled up your draft for 2021 to look at what keepers you had uh you kept jacob Degrom, garrett cole jack flaherty uh vlad guerrero and Zach Gallen. Those those were your first five picks, actually. You you didn't have a single pick until the sixth round that year. Um, but then you also had Corey Seager in the 14th round. So I would say in your case, you had backups, basically. Yes, you were trading away the best keeper. And yes, I think it was at a discount. But you also had the capital to back it up the next season. That's why I think the having that three to five player threshold intact is the more important part of the strategy. Because like I said, Nate last year, he traded away plenty of keepers, perhaps at a discount if you if you were to crunch the numbers uh, to try and get a better championship team. But he had he had keepers in reserve to be able to do that. So if you're in that position, I don't have a I don't have as much of a problem giving away keepers for a discount. It's when you're when you're selling the farm, you better be getting full value, in in my opinion. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I um I did not like I don't disagree with you. I I largely agree with this strategy, um, and especially when I started looking back and being like and again it's easy with the benefit of hindsight like i haven't won since 2020 so it's easy to look back and wish that i didn't trade away those guys but um just thinking like the keeper pool i could have had uh pretty pretty wild you know a little little eye-opening um definitely something to think about and uh i'm glad that we had this this discussion and we were able to weave this in because I, i think that the keeper strategy is really what separates this league, um, makes it even more interesting as, to, as opposed to your your standard league. So I think um, kind of diving into almost like the game theory of uh, of what what strategy you got you have to implement with your keepers um, is always going to be a really interesting topic. So uh, yeah, thanks for coming up with that. Um, I did that was all Jero when I did not have that on the itinerary. I did not originally have that on the itinerary. Uh, yeah, if this turns out to be a great strat, you're welcome for for throwing it out there for everyone to use. If it if it turns out that it that it sucks and I'm completely mistaken, 
then uh, I'll just look like a fool. And we can point back to this like the uh, the Joey Votto hot take. Well, too, it's still too soon for that, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we're gonna go to our main segment now, which is um, we're gonna we're gonna go over all the keeper pools. Uh, we're gonna which ones we like, which ones we don't. Um, so we're gonna start with. Uh, the, the keeper pool that you've changed your mind about the most. Um, and I'm going to say this is, is kind of like a uh, in a wider sense, not really since they actually submitted their keepers, but we've had the list of the potential keeper pools uh, for since November, however many months that is. And, uh, so we've had those for a while. A chance to look over them. We've had all offseason to kind of speculate on who's going to keep who. Um, is there a particular keeper pool that you've changed your mind about the most kind of like just in a positive way where you looked at it, you looked at it before and it kind of sort of like, I guess, aged well over the course of the off season in your eyes. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Eddie on this one. When I was kind of looking at my keeper rankings, I set it up like early in the off season, just set it and figured I'd get back to it closer closer to the season when like more news and stuff is coming out. And I just found myself moving Eddie's Eddie's guys up farther and farther. Once I, once I took a look at it again, um, guys like Chris sale, I just completely wrote off at, at the end of last year, Christian Javier, I, I thought was maybe interesting, but especially after his world series performance, um, he, he's definitely a, a a pretty good keeper and just one guy that I just kind of completely forgot about was Eloy Jimenez like I know he he has his issues he has injury injury problems but if he stays healthy that's a great 15th round pick um yeah Eddie's Eddie's team I think aged the best in my eyes over over the offseason yeah I, we're off to a roaring start because that was the pick for me too um and Eddie can even tell you I I wrote off some of his guys um i did not like sale at all last year but a lot of, that was largely because he his velocity last year was not a, not normal at all for him um and his he just was kind of all over the place <laughs> or lack of a better term but it by all accounts the velocity is normal this spring he's back to getting a ton of swings and misses and he's kind of shot up my draft board and and redraft um Christian Javier was another one. I think you kind of detailed that really well. Uh, the World Series appearances, playoff appearances, he looks great. I kind of look at him and Spencer Strider, and I honestly, I don't see a huge difference between the two of them. Uh, obviously, Strider in our league, the discount is much greater, but in redraft value, I don't know that there's a huge difference between those two pitchers. Um, Corey Seager was another one who I really liked for a long time, and then I kind of cooled on him a little bit last year, but with the elimination of the shift, that's kind of been well documented. He should be, in theory, the guy who should benefit the most from that, and he is turned into a, a industry favorite as an early round pick. Um, one that I thought I would have more of in in redraft leagues, but honestly, I can never seem to get him because people like him more than I do. Uh, you're right about Eloy Jimenez. Um, I guess it is worth mentioning but he uh injured his calf um over sometime over the last two days and is currently like day to day but still he is very good in a shallow left field 
Um, the only kind of questionable one is Matt Olson, but that's well worth a fifth round pick in our league, especially that's still a discount in my opinion. So I definitely think Eddie Eddie's pool aged the best in my eyes, even after I kind of let, I, I looked at his pool last year and really didn't see a whole lot there, but um, definitely looks good now. And one of, one of my favorites, he, he's a lot of the, the redraft players that I like a lot on the other side of that. Which uh, is there any pool in particular that you think aged poorly over the offseason? I'm I'm kind of stuck between I'll cheat and I'll talk about two of them. I'm stuck between mine and Brendan's because I think my talk, talk about talk about Brendan's because I have yours. Okay, I'll talk about Brendan's. The the only the the only reason I say Brendan's is I think Joe Musk might be the individual player who I as a keeper. It's not it's not that I think he's going to be bad this year. I think he's probably going to have another good season. But since he was traded for, he was I, I think we uh, on the podcast, he was talked about as like a top five keeper and kind of fell off a bit down the stretch last season. And in the off season, his ADP is kind of sitting around that tenth round mark. So you'd be taking him around where he would go anyways uh, in the tenth round. Plus, Brennan has to has to take a uh, a keeper penalty for keeping both him and Rutschman. Um, and Musgrove with like the injury, I don't think he's supposed to miss much time. I think I saw April 6th was like his target date, though that that date is like uh, on the more aggressive side. Um, he's healing well so far from what I've seen, but I don't know. It's after the injury, it definitely seemed lost. He's kind of reeled it back in, but I don't know that Joe Musgrove in the ninth round is is my favorite. I still. Don't get me wrong, still like Brendan's pool a lot. Jordan Alvarez, Adley Rutschman, Rodon, obviously great keepers. Um, but I, I think Joe Musgrove just kind of soured on me over the offseason. Um, go ahead and, and rip my team a new one. All right, Jerwin, just do something before we close your eyes and let me paint you a picture. Okay. It's mid July. Jacob DeGrom has been on the IL for a month with a forearm strain. Tyler Glass now has re-aggravated his run. Grayson Rodriguez, as it turns out, is the pitching version of Spencer Torkelson that is in the minors. And Dylan Cease has a 4.35 ERA and is walking the farm because he's not actually a top 20 pitcher. Now open your eyes. This could be the fate of your keeper pool. Because out of all of the keepers, the, all the upper echelon keepers, I think this is the one that has the most bottom-out potential out of all of them. And I say that at the keeper pools, rather. Um, I, I think it's kind of well-documented. I'm not a Dylan Cease believer. Um, I, I, I was being a little bit extreme with the 4.35 ERA. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not huge on him. Um, DeGrom is kind of, he's a little bit of a time bomb in my opinion. I 
don't see any way that he pitches the full season. Um, Tyler Glass now, I loved coming into the year, but it, it's been a while since I, since you've gotten significant volume out of him. And I well, I should say it, it's never happened. Um, and Grayson Rodriguez, I love Grayson Rodriguez. But at the same time, I, I have to acknowledge it is really hard to pitch in the major leagues. And we thought that Spencer Torkelson was a good hitter. We thought that Jared Kalanick was a good hitter. And when they got here, it was a little tougher to hit than they thought it was. Same thing with pitching. Um, pitching prospects actually tend to get knocked around a little more than uh, think hitters tend to struggle. But I just think out of all the keeper pools, I see a, kind of a lot of downside here. And by downside, I mean, like, because these are all really late picks. So if they, it's kind of like what you said earlier, if they bust, whatever. But I think I see more downside with each individual keeper as compared to some other ones. Um and the fact that Glass now has gotten hurt, um, Degrom already kind of been a little bit shaky health wise. It just uh, my opinions definitely changed a little bit. I definitely had to. I think I'd have to lower it a little bit in the, the keeper rankings. But my my question here was: um, if this all happens, how would you? How on earth would you keep positivity in that locker room? Uh, same way I always do. I mean, we're just. You, you set the vibes out and the vibes return back to you. You know, it's it's not about performance. It's about how you feel. Uh, but no, I, I I don't disagree with that necessarily. I think it's, I think it, they're so, the most volatile group uh, of keepers, perhaps in the league. They, they have the widest range of outcomes because, you know, I, I don't disagree that, on the bottom out potential but they also have pretty high ceilings i mean dylan cease was a top five pitcher last year jacob de i mean if he pitches 140 150 innings he could just be the top pitcher in the league even without all the volume uh tyler glass now he's much more of a question mark i i agree um and you know grayson rodriguez could could also not suck and be really good, especially in Camden Yards where they push the fences back almost in anticipation of his arrival. Uh, so, sure, it, it's it's the riskiest, perhaps. But like you said, if they bust, they bust. At least, at least I wasn't taking Jake Grom in like the second round or something, you know, at least I wasn't taking Dylan Cease in, in the fourth or fifth. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, another reason I, I kind of soured on my own keeper pool going into this year is like, I had so many names at the end of last season, Michael Kopech, Ter- Tarek Skubal, like around the deadline, I'm talking there, there was a bunch of guys, Ty France and like, all of them kind of just either got hurt. Shane Boz, another one. Everyone just either got hurt or, or kind of fell off or both, like with Tarek Skubal. Um Yeah, so it, it was it was a tough off season, but uh, you know, like I like I said, not didn't didn't make out like Aaron Judge, but high hopes, high hopes. All right, so let's next go to something a little more positive. Um, give me, just give me your, the best, your, in your opinion, the best keeper pool. 
Um, hmm. Again, um, it's it's difficult to decide. I think. How about right, well, you deciding, go first, can... and I'll pick the other one. That sounds good. So I kind of decided this a little later in the game, and I, I will I will say there are plenty of strong contenders. Everybody this year, especially, did a heck of a job picking their keepers and constructing this. And I say everybody, and I don't actually mean everybody, but for the most part, everybody did a really good job selecting their keepers. Um, I looked at the keeper expansion draft, and it looks like the Sahara Desert out there. There's not a whole lot that I like. Um, and I remember last year thinking, wow, there is a lot that I like. And that's just, this is just a total 180 from that. So I think everybody this year especially did a much better job keep it with their keepers. And I think that kind of just shows us getting better as a league. But there can only be one winner. And in my opinion, that is Nate. His keeper pool, I think, Jared, when you kind of already touched on it, his keeper pool is terrific. Um, he's got Sandy Alcantara, who is probably the number one pitcher in points leagues um, at a fourth round cost. That guy is probably a first round pick in a in if we if he was in the keeper or if he was in the regular draft pool. Uh, then we move on to the spark extraordinaire Spencer Strider, who is the top keeper in the league, and he gets him in what is it the 21st round something that's like that yeah so that's just how we start then we got alejandro kirk who is perfect for our format uh doesn't strike out takes walks uh lots of contact and he's a catcher which is great and he he is a real life real hitter at the catcher position that's great 17th round take that all day and finally, Nasty Nestor Cortez, who for me is a top 30 pitcher and is still terrific despite the uh, the hamstring injury that he's entering the year with. Now, you might say to me, Jay, how can somebody with only four keepers have the top keeper pool? That is ridiculous. But I think he is getting so much value from these keepers, and he has the freedom to pick whoever he wants in the keeper expansion draft, as shallow as it may be that I think that he does have the claim as the top keeper pool. Darwin, did I give you enough time to decide? Yeah, I mean, you gave me enough reasons to just pick what you said, but I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead with the other one I had in mind. And despite having just trashed him, uh, I think Brendan has, has another really good pick. I think both he and I were like the top contenders for best keeper pool at the end of last season, I think our both kind of kind of aged poorly over the off season and and others just just kind of skyrocketed. But Carlos Rodon, a you know keeper number two or three, depending on who you ask. Uh Adley Rutschman, I think, is a great a great keep in the 10th round. I think he's going to have an even better season than he did last year. Now that he's made the, made the adjustments from early on. Um, I, I, I said, Joe Musgrove is kind of like, eh, but like if Joe Musgrove is your worst keeper, that's pretty good. And you're on Alvarez in the fourth round. It's not an insane discount, but like you said in left field, he's basically the only left field. It like, after that, you're just, you might as well just 
throw your hands up. Like maybe Kyle Schwarber, if, if he can hit another 40 plus home runs, but it the left, if you think that the, the keeper expansion pool is, is a desert left field is like, Oh, it's Mars. Um, so yeah, I, I think Brennan, despite, despite Musgrove, maybe, maybe taking a step back in, in the quality of keeper that he is, I think he still has a really great pool. Yeah, I, I guess I should say I would have picked Brendan if his whole keeper pool was healthy, but um, it's not. And, and that's why I give the I give the edge to to Nate here. I do. Rodon was like number four for me on my redraft rankings at starting pitcher um, before the injury. So I, I liked him a, a very good deal. And Jordan Alvarez, in my opinion, a fourth round pick for him is a tremendous discount because that guy is a surefire first round pick in my opinion even more so than sandy alcantara is uh but yeah both have great keeper pools both are very well set up for this year but unfortunately we have to go to the other side now with the worst keeper pool jerwin who do you have there it's on first here um i i hate to do it because i love him to death but jordan's keeper pool i just i it's not a desert like the expansion draft but I'll, I'll talk about the the bright, shiny hopes first. Marcus Simeon in the sixth round, second base again, a very thin position. I think that's a good keep, not a crazy discount, and he's not Jordan Alvarez, but in the sixth round to have a solid second baseman to start the year, um, I, I think that's, that's a good keep. Devin Williams I like a lot in the 11th round. I know – uh, closers aren't as high priority, but he's, in my mind, he's one of the elite options this season. Um, and in the 11th round, I think that's a pretty good deal. He takes a hit maybe because the, the Brewers, I don't think are, at least they're not supposed to be a, as good this year. We'll see. But um, yeah. And then Glaber Torres, another second base eligible guy. Uh, maybe he's going for a monopoly. That could that could be the case. Um, in the fifteenth round, he's not the greatest player ever. He's but fifteenth round, I think for him is still a discount. What I really really don't like is Alec Manoa in the second round. Um, I just I I I'm I have reservations taking Jacob Degrom in the fourth round. And I'm doing it because he has first player overall upside. Alec Manoa just doesn't have that. And two rounds earlier. I just, I, I don't like that pick. Yeah, this is going to be the part of the podcast, I guess, where we just crap on Jordan's keeper pool because I also have <laughs> I also have Jordan here. Um, like you, I am not a fan of the Alec Manoa pick. I really like Marcus Simeon in the sixth. Um, this was something that, I think is interesting to look at is when you actually compare your overall rankings. I, I do have overall rankings. I realized like not everybody does that, but just take a set of rankings, right? Cross off all the keepers um, and then kind of see who's left and how far guys move up. Um, I would tend to guess that if Marcus Simeon was in our draft pool, he goes no later than the third round. Um, and uh, getting him in the sixth, I think that is a big win, especially at a thin position. However, the others I'm not really crazy about. I don't like Alec Manoa in the second ball, like you said. 
Um, Glaber Torres, I can kind of take it or leave it with him. Um, I think it's I think it's worth it in the fifteenth just to get more exposure to second base and hope that he pans out. Um, but I I don't think I think the the I guess the time where we thought that Glaber Torres would be uh, an early round pick, I think that's kind of behind us. And Devin Williams, um, he's a good reliever. He's a very very good reliever. Um, but I think the 11th is usually when I would draft the really, really good relievers anyways. So I don't know that there's a huge discount there. Uh, but I do like Devin Williams. Overall, though, there's not one that really, really stands out to me as a huge discount. He's only keeping four. And um, there's definitely one there with the early round pick in Manoa where I don't know that he's really worth that pick. So Jordan is also my pick there uh, as well. Sorry to Jordan. Let's go with our with a sleeper pool. Now, this is one that we think maybe is a little didn't get a whole lot of fanfare, but you can kind of see like in the right case scenario where we look back and be like this. This was a top three pool, and that's why this person did so well this year. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say Scott. I think I mean, he's got his youth movement back and ready to go for this season. Um. I mean, I, I think sleeper pool is the right the right name for it because he's got, aside from like Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt, uh, he's got some pretty sleeper picks in George Kirby, Dustin May. I think Wander Franco in the seventh round is uh, probably probably about where he might go, but I think... I think last year was lost to injury more than it was to poor performance. I, I, I like Franco this year, especially in our format with his plate discipline. Um, George Kirby and Dustin May, I think, have pretty high ceilings. Dustin May, perhaps a higher ceiling. Uh, but the thing with George Kirby is he's got such great control. He's got a really high floor. Um, and that's a great a great pick to have in the 17th round for your pitching staff. And then obviously, you know, Bobby Witt in the ninth is a pretty good discount. I'm not, I'm not as high as Bobby on, I'm not as high on Bobby Witt as maybe consensus is and not for our format, at least. Um, and Julio Rodriguez, same story, though. I have him as my fourth best keeper. I, I don't, I don't hate him as much as I used to, but uh Still in the 16th round, incredible discount for him. Yeah, I, I think Scott uh, is in the conversation. I, I think he's definitely in the conversation for best keeper pool. And if it pans out, we, it, definitely one we could look back and say, "Man, those were those are great picks." The youth, the youth movement could be here. It it could have finally arrived. Yeah, I think Scott's the answer here. Just a lot of I think part of it too is his picks are so late. And um, none of the really the picks other than I would say Julio Rodriguez, none of those guys, I think, coming into this year, we really viewed uh, or I guess coming out of last year, we really viewed as maybe top notch keepers or when he traded for them. We didn't think like, oh, that's that's a move that's going to put his pool over the top. But uh, there is, like you said, a ton of upside here and um, they're all really late. Uh and I, I think his best case scenario is right up there with anyone else's. Um, and he has still has all his early picks. So I, I definitely think Scott is the right 
answer here. Uh, moving on now to the individual keepers. Um, I was going to do best keeper, but I figured that might be kind of boring because we talk about we talked about who the best keepers were last year constantly. Uh, and there's not really much more that needs to be said about Spencer Strider, Corbett Burns, Carlos Rodon, Julio Rodriguez, any of those guys. We don't really need to talk about them anymore and how great they are. So let's just move on to the negative. Um, out of all the keepers in the keeper world this year, which one would you say is the worst and that you looked at more was like, why is this person keeping them? Do you want to say Alec Manoa or should I pick another one? Like what, how should we do this? <laughs> I mean, oh, you know <laughs> what? You go ahead and talk about Alec Manoa. I pontificated about him enough. I'll pick a different one. I think Justin Verlander in the first is also a bad keeper. I don't know that it's, uh, I, it's not as bad to me because I think he, he could have first round upside if he stays healthy this year. Um, and he, you know, he was a Cy Young last season. So um I don't think it's actually the worst, but I've already talked about Alec Manoa. Uh, but Justin Verlander in the first round, uh, he, he, in redrafts, or even if he just went back to the pool, he's not going to be picked in the first round. You could you could wait on him. You could probably get him in like the second or third. Um, in redraft, he's going as late as like the fifth round and stuff. So um, a bit of a reach for Justin Verlander, in my opinion. And I don't know what you're basing that off of, because I, I also, I should preference, I don't care about, I mean, I think this is a fine pick. I I would have guessed that Justin Verlander would probably be picked in, at, at worst, like mid-second round if he was available, just because that's how pitching goes in our league. And there's already a lot of pitchers gone, and, you know, like that look that makes the top of the top of the rankings look really thin and all that other stuff. So I definitely think that Verlander, would have been picked no later than like mid second round if he was in the the pool, but um, yeah, it's Alec Manoa for me. I I'm just not a Manoa guy this year. I think um, I guess I'll start with the positives. Manoa is not a bad pitcher. Okay, that's he's not. His skill set is pretty good for um kind of the environment we're in with the dejuiced balls. Uh, he's a fly ball guy. Uh, so the BABIP-inducing Roger Center doesn't tend to hurt him as much. Um, he did show strikeout upside in his rookie year, but that kind of came back down to earth last year. Uh, peripherals did not tend to like him last year. It seemed like he took a step back. He's a big guy. He's a workhorse. But he's I just don't – I don't have him in my top 15 pitchers. I don't have him in my – I think he's – might be starting pitcher 19 or 20 for me. So he's barely inside my top 20. I think Manoa is a good pitcher. I don't know that he's worth this pick. I would rather have a guy like Aaron Nola, who I think will be there at this pick. Um, and I know there's some other guys as well. I would rather have Luis Castillo, for instance. Um, he's another one who I'm sure will be there at this pick. There's just other options that I would prefer a lot more to Manoa that I'm almost positive will be there at this pick. Um, and if they're not, that means they got picked earlier and there's probably a really good hitter that's available for you there as well. So I, that's why I'm not crazy about this, about this keeper um, at this spot. 
Uh, it has less to do with Manoa's overall talent. He's a good pitcher. I just don't think he's this good. And I think there are better, there could have been better options uh, if he would have just taken the pick. Uh, so let's move to something more positive, though. And that is the sleeper keeper. What keeper could we look at later on and we think, wow, how did we not see that coming? That this is a let's let's look at this, look into our crystal balls here and be like, what key, let's look at a future top five, top ten overall keeper. Who could you see that happening with? I'm gonna I'm gonna have you go first on this one as well. Okay. Uh, so obviously first this really isn't much of a sleeper. I love Christian Javier in the twelfth. Um, like I said, I think he and Spencer Strider are not really that different. And um Spencer Strider is a great pitcher. So is Christian Javier. Uh this is a guy I could see making the leap and probably entrenching himself as a top ten pitcher this year, maybe even top five. Uh and he is being kept very, very late. Um, more on the sleeper end, though, they went with Joe Ryan in the 11th. Now, this one is a, admittedly a kind of a long shot, but I really like Joe Ryan this year. Um, he's added a new pitch. He went to driveline. He added velocity. I really liked Joe Ryan last year, but I think he is a guy who could be built for points leagues. Um, he's going to be a volume guy uh, it's got a pretty deep arsenal he added a sweeper which is like the new pitch that everybody loves added velocity it just seems like the ingredients are there for him to take a big step forward and um yeah i i can see it happening i think he, he's one of my he's one of my breakout picks this year so i was sad to see jc kept him um i was hoping he would be available in the expansion draft but last he was not yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and land on someone else from JC's pool. I, Nick Lodolo, I think, is a pretty good sleeper pick. Uh, and being kept in the 16th round, um, I don't have his like ADP memorized or pulled up or anything, but... I, uh, I can tell you real quick. It's about, it's I think it's in the 120, 130 range, but you, you got to okay. bump that up quite a bit because of, you know, how hard yeah. So redraft around the 10th round, he's being kept in the 16th for us. That's that's pretty good. Um, and, you know, considering considering the, the keepers that are missing, that's, you know, six to eight or nine rounds worth of, of discount. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Lodolo has, has a good chance to take the next step this season. Uh, and be a really, really solid option, especially out of the 16th round. That's that's the kind of pick you want to be making in the 16th round anyways, and I think he's, um, you know, more established with higher upside than than someone who's going to be around in the 16th, in the 16th round this, when the draft actually comes. Nick Lodolo will be better than Hunter Green. Put it in the books. Uh, in I the actually, books. I, li I like Nick Lodolo as, I like Nick Lodolo, the pitcher. I don't know that I like Nick Lodolo, the fantasy pitcher, quite as much just because um, it's the same problem I have with Hunter Green, too. The Reds are just a real problem. Um, <laughs> I think I think Lodolo's kind of better equipped to handle it because Green, um, 
he's kind of a fly ball pitcher and he basically plays in a little league park, which doesn't really mesh. Uh, but like the Reds are terrible. They're not going to win many games. Their defense is bad. Uh, just they play in a little league park. Like I said, it's just not a whole lot of ingredients there in particular. Um, and wins like it or not are a big part of our score, our scoring format. They account for five, uh, win loss. It's a 10 point swing. So that is a little bit random, but at the same time, if you, if you play for the Reds, you're probably not going to get as many wins. Um, so that kind of cooled because I was, I was huge on Lodolo coming into the, coming early in the off season, I would say, but kind of as the, as the off season wore on, I just kept finding myself lowering him and Hunter Green. Um, I think they're back to back in my rankings at like 38 to 39 or something, but um, so yeah, I'm not actually that, that bold proclamation. I'm like kind of waffling on it in my own rankings. But, uh, I, I also have them back to back, but even lower than that at 43 and 44. So <laughs> yeah, it's just, I think the reds, just the reds, man, they just, I have to crap on these two pitchers that we want to like. Yeah, I mean, they, they held, were on any other team, you know. They held Castillo back for for how long? So, yeah, true that. All right, so that was our keeper talk, and I have to say, you're making terrific time. I have definitely, without a doubt, improved on this. New um, year, new hosts. That's right. We are we are cruising, and we might actually get in around is incredible anyways news and notes uh now i really really shaped down news and notes in anticipation of our keeper talk going real long which i guess we can revisit just real quick because i did see that we did not talk about uh most of the keeper pools we didn't talk about mine we didn't talk about mike we didn't talk about jc as much i guess we did touch on jc uh is there anyone in particular that you wanted to talk about any thoughts on any keeper pools i know for me um i was sad to see altuve got hurt i thought that really really hurt my keeper pool um i would also say for um for mike i really liked otani i really like otani uh but i also and i really like riley and i really like Cruz. i'm not i i i'm wondering though if the key not to and again, I feel like I'm harping on Hunter Green. I really don't hate him. It's just the I, I think I would rather have like was it Luis Severino and I think the eighth. I think I would rather have him, uh, and then I could keep the. I, I would have an extra slot because there is a a little a round conflict there. Uh, Nick Lee, we didn't even touch on his keeper pool at all. Um, Aaron Judge in the ninth. That's a, I think that is a pretty significant discount early on. Uh, he is my top overall player. Still love Zach Wheeler. Uh, Will Smith, the catcher, not the reliever, is good. In the eighth, that is a big value there. Um, I'm not crazy about Hoskins, but that is a Courtney legacy player, so I appreciate him staying on the roster. And, of course, fellow legacy player Logan Gilbert. Um, I was big on him as a breakout last year, but I kind of cooled on it a little bit this year. Um, But he's perfectly fine in the 14th. And then finally, the other Nick, and I say the other Nick, um, also acknowledging he is the league champion and probably the reigning league villain. Um, and I say that with the utmost respect because league villain is the most respectful title you can possibly have in a fantasy league. He is doing what I did 
in 2021 where ironically when I was also coming off a championship so maybe this is just something that happens where he's keeping his first well for him it's his first four picks so uh, but he does have his other pick in the sixth these are all very high-end players Um, I think the only one that I was a little iffy on was Julio Arias in the third but I think that's perfectly valid there I love Max Fried in the fourth I just love Max Fried in general and Emmanuel Class A is kind of in a league of his own now that Edwin Diaz went down uh, as the top true reliever. Uh, of course, we have Mike Trout in the first, Shane Mathanahan in the second. Not significant discounts there, but uh, I think going at the uh, one-two turn, that's perfectly fine. Um, you're just cementing what players you want there. And I think if I was in that position, I would love to have Trout and Mathanahan that late as well. Um, I think I touched on every pool i guess we could go back to sam a little bit uh jt real muto in the fourth that's a good one i love zach allen still uh david bednar i'm not huge on but you know it's the 17th whatever and then brian reynolds um he's being kept so late it's like if he busts who cares all right now jerwin if you have any other thoughts on anything while i catch my breath go ahead no, I think you. Yeah, I think you uh, hit all the notes that I would have hit. Um, yeah, I mean, just to reiterate what you said, I think, I think everyone did a pretty good job of rounding up the best keepers and keeping them out of the expansion draft. So, round of applause uh, for everyone. And and just a note on all the the Jordan hatred we've been doing. I I doubt he's actually going to be offended because his complete lack of a keeper pool was by design. That's, that's what he wanted out of last season. He wanted to sell it all and go for a championship. Um, so, you know, he, if he, if we hate his keeper pool, he, he probably does too. And that is what he wanted. It does fly in the face of your strategy. Any, um, I guess any thoughts on, on that? Would you have a, okay. So let's put you in Jordan's shoes just because, Zoom isn't even giving me the warning yet. So, like, I'm totally in the clear here to do whatever I want. Um, so, let's put you in Jordan's shoes. Would you have approached last year with the knowing the strategy that you talked about earlier in the podcast? Would I mean, you if... have approached it the same? I mean, thinking what I think now, I, I would I would certainly say no. Um, I, I'm trying to remember who all he he got rid of. I know one one we could put down. It was uh Kyle Tucker was one. Kyle uh, Tucker was one. Kyle Musgrove Tucker. another. Musgrove. Uh, Valdez. I think yeah, that, the Valdez, time, yeah, that was he, kind yeah, of too. a. I think he that was kind of like a a throw in at the time, but Valdez really panned out. Um. Yeah, I mean, thinking what I think now, I, w- I would have not done the same thing. But, you know, it he accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish, which was to create a championship-caliber team. He took down who I considered, and I, I believe you said the same thing last year on the podcast, was uh, the favorite heading into the playoffs and and gave Nick a run for his money as well. So he went on the run he wanted. I would have tried to do it a different way, but, you know, I probably wouldn't have had as good of a championship team. Um, But 
the point of my strategy isn't necessarily that. It's to continue to have a wide margin of error this year, which Jordan doesn't. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't know how I would have done it. I mean, I I understand what he was, what where he's coming from. I know that he kind of operates on the every other year sort of strategy, where he one year he's like anticipating he's going to suck. So, um, I, I know that's kind of how he envisions it going most of the time. Like one year he'll he'll be good. He'll trade everybody, rebuild the next year try again the following year and so on and so forth. I do think there is a very thin margin of error for that though. Um, like if you don't successfully rebuild this year, then you're going to be in for, it's going to be more like uh, every two, every two years or so, you know, like you're going to suck for two years while you rebuild and then you'll be good for one year and so on. So I do think there is kind of a smaller margin for error with that. It means you have to draft really well. Because you need guys to trade if you're not going to have a keeper pool. Um, you need guys to trade to acquire said keepers that you need. Uh, so you have to draft really well. Your, your guys have to pan out. Um, and if you're starting from scratch, you're going to have to have some late picks that hit. Uh, so I would actually argue that now, more than ever, the down years are really when research is required. Even more so than the uh, the normal years. But Thank you for going through that. Um, that was not on the itinerary. That was just me going off the top of my head with the newfound freedom that I had from uh, Zoom not sending me the, the timing warning because um, we're doing so well with the pace of the episode. But now we will go to news and notes for real. And I don't have a lot. I didn't want to talk about all the things. Like if you've listened to any baseball podcast, they're probably covering anything that we would be covering and Nobody wants to have to reiterate all of that again. So my only question was about the World Baseball Classic. Um, and there seems to be some like some kind of disconnect between some MLB teams and the WBC teams on how their players are used. There was a report that the Padres were frustrated by you Darvish's lack of usage uh, because they didn't think he'd be ready for the season. And on the other side, uh, the U.S. manager, Mark DeRosa, had spoken about how MLB team restrictions impacted his pitching decisions. So I guess I just wanted to ask, what's your take on the situation? Um, should the World Baseball Classic be like, screw you guys, we're going to pitch you however we want? Or should the MLB teams really have the final say on how their pitchers are used? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's a weird situation like the Olympics where like – it's a nice thing for your players to go and do. And like, if you're in the, in major league baseball or, you know, whatever, whatever sport it is going to the Olympics, like hockey and so on. Um, you want to represent your country and you're one of the best players in your sport in the world. So why would you not want to do that on the world stage? Um, but at the same time, you know, you have a job to do, and the the World Baseball Classic is happening over spring training. The Olympics usually happen in like the middle of whatever season they're interrupting, all that sort of stuff. And you know, there's risks that go along with it. And I don't know. I 
I feel like if there's if there's enough tension between the World Baseball Classic and the MLB, then it, it could quickly go the way of I believe hockey did this. They, you know, it's the pros don't play in it anymore. It's just, you know, the um it's just like the the amateurs or I don't want to say amateurs, but you know, not the NHL. Um I, I could easily see it going that way. All right. That is the end of news and notes. And that brings us to the Keeper expansion draft order. The thing that I'm sure everybody was waiting for. Jerwin, can you see my screen? I can see your screen. Do you want to have everybody in this draft order generator? In, in, do I have them all there correctly? All right, let me yes. read them out loud in the order that they are currently. Jake, Jerwin, Jordan, Nick, Lee, Nick, Andres, Nate. Eddie, Mike, Sam, JC, Scott, Brendan. That is 12, and that is us. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. We are generating the draft. Da, 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 da. Drum roll. Rah. Here we go. Starting from the back. I pick number 12, Brendan. Pick number 11, JC. Pick number 10, Eddie. Pick number nine, Mike. Pick number eight, Jordan. Pick number seven, me. Pick number six, Nick Lee. Pick number five, Jerowin. Pick number four, Nate. Pick number three, Sam. Pick number two, Scott, which means pick number one goes to reigning champion and league villain, Nick. Andres. So that is your draft order. Do that real quick so I don't forget. Jerwin, how are you feeling? Uh, fifth pick isn't great, but it's not the back half. So I feel I feel like I can get something that I uh, is worth having. So that makes me feel good. Um, yeah. So I I guess how this works is you know whenever Nick listens to the podcast and finds out he's first, he can start drafting. And then when Scott listens to the podcast, someone should probably tell Scott. Someone someone tell Scott that his is the second pick. <laughs> I actually, I don't know if Scott listens to the podcast. He might totally listen to the podcast, in which case I apologize. But anyways. Yeah, try not to like piss off our listeners because we don't have that many. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm not feeling great about you know seven. I don't even know if I have seven guys that I wanted on my list. I'll have to double check. It's at least close. I if I didn't have seven, I had very close to seven. But uh, yeah, not feeling great. Uh, but it could be worse. I could be you know like twelve. So there's that. Um, so yeah, that is your keeper expansion draft. Uh, we will. How this will work is we'll start. Um. We'll start basically as soon as Nick wants. <laughs> uh, as soon as Nick listens to the podcast and puts it up is when we'll start. If he doesn't start by, we'll say, like, tomorrow night, then I'll put the draft order in the in the group chat, and we'll proceed from there. So either way, we should have this wrapped up. 
well before our draft. We were pretty quick with it last time. I don't think this time will be any different. But there you have it. That is your keeper expansion draft order. Uh, thanks, Jerwin, for joining me here for this very first podcast. Um, reminder to everybody, we need to decide on Mike's team name. Um, if you have any suggestions, put them in the group chat. We'll have a couple, find a couple that we like. Uh, we also need logos. We can do that on Fantrax. Um, so make sure we submit those as well. Jerwin, any final thoughts? I don't know. It's just, I'm just so excited for the season to start. I actually did draft prep this year. Like I promised I would do last year and didn't do, but now I'm here. I feel prepared. I have picks that I want rather than just picking names from the list. It's going to be a great time. There will be no Adalberto Mondesi's pick within the first three rounds. Yeah. I did my own rankings with points leagues in mind revolutionary i know that's why you got promoted to the podcast co-host that's all for us uh we will talk to you guys next week with our draft recap and the preview of week one good luck to everybody in the draft and we will talk to you then